Welcome back to another episode of Live in the Visions. As we get started, a reminder that some topics we discuss may be a trigger for some, and I want to provide a warning to those who may be sensitive to the subject matter of domestic abuse so that you can make the decision whether this episode is right for you at this time. Please make sure to make time for self-care after you listen. Today, I have a very special guest, Claudia Spar, who is one of the contributing authors in Hear Her War, Successful Women Who Experience Domestic Abuse. Claudia creates safe, curates safe spaces for women and children. She founded Holy Mama in 2013 with the birth of her daughter. Claudia has trained retreat leaders in over 20 countries across six continents, and she's hosted hundreds of transformational retreats around the world. Having had three children in her 40s, Claudia wrote a book about later motherhood, which became an international bestseller and was published in six languages, including Chinese and Korean. Claudia is a keynote speaker and feminine leadership mentor and has won a Best Women in Business Award for her international achievements. Before becoming a health and wellness pioneer, the work she worked over a decade in the media as a radio broadcast journalist and TV foreign correspondent. Hi, Claudia. Thank you for joining me today. We have been on an amazing journey together as contributing authors and hear her roar. And I'm honored that you are joining me today to talk about our chapter. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. This is amazing. You're doing this. You know, it's, it's like you said in the intro, it, it, it Self-care is important when we're dealing with subjects like this. And here we are, both of us, you know, going through these very personal uh, journeys with, uh, with, with domestic abuse. And at the same time, we're healers and therapists. <laughs> and, you know, we're doing what we can to support others. And I think it's important that those who are on this journey themselves realize that just because you're helping others doesn't mean that you know everything or that you know and often i i sometimes say your the depth of your pain is directly related to your highest potential so you know it's all about transformation so when we can transform these really hard life lessons and challenges into something that is a gift to, to others, to the world, then you know, I think that's that's an important it's it's an important piece for us to remember. And for anyone listening to this who's going through the, you know this this themselves, uh, that they they see that there's something in there that they're going to transform and that is possibly related to their mission in life. Absolutely. I love how you put that. Yeah. I mean, we both um, are in, we've gone through our journey, like you said, and we're both, we try, we both are trying to heal and help people. And it's not easy to have these conversations. It wasn't easy to write this book for any of us, um, all the uh, contributing authors. And even now on this podcast, like we were talking before we started recording and we both were kind of getting a little bit of anxiousness, you know, because it does, we start talking about our past or what we're currently going through. And so there are some triggers and I don't think it's anything that we ever completely heal from, but we definitely are taking the steps. And that's why we decided to write what we did and are now having this conversation because 
it helps women feel that they're not so alone um, and that they've got other people have gone through or are going through what they are maybe currently going through or have gone through. And so um, that's the biggest thing I find when I talk to people is they come up to me afterwards and they're just like, I just don't feel alone. Like now there's somebody else out there. So I love, I love that impact that it has. Yes. Uh, I think the more we talk about it, the more that it chain it can, it, it can change because a lot of why this has perpetuated over lifetimes, generations, thousands of years, you could say, is because of the silence around it and because of the taboo. And that is something that I address quite specifically in my chapter. And I saw it very clearly when I was going through um, what you would, I mean, they were, they, domestic abuse has many faces, as we know, and yeah. some sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's psychological, sometimes it is physical, sometimes the physical turns into something else. So, but either way, when I tried to address this with my in-laws, it was, it was really, it was swept under the carpet. It was ignored. A woman's voice is not to be trusted. Uh, you know, you're a liar, all these projections that they don't all only happen from in-laws. They, ha I've also experienced them through the courts and I'm sure many others have. And, and, you know, this is our system that it is the, the, what we, the way we've grown up, the way our world is still filtering uh, the way women are seen, the way, the way families are seen. And I think, you know, this, this is something that it, it's not going to change overnight. And this is why I'm, I decided also to speak up about this. And it took, it took quite a bit for me to do that because there was shame involved. There's always, there's shame involved. And especially for someone like me who, you know, I have, I am, I'm a public figure and I have built a business and built my legacy around mothers. Everything I do is to do with mothers, mothers and children. And here I am not even being able to keep my own children safe when everything I do is about keeping women and children safe. So it's, it's kind of ironic, sadly ironic, but it's also, this is part of what I was saying before. Sometimes your biggest challenge is your greatest gift to the world. Absolutely. And I think with, um, women like yourself and me and all these, I want to call them celebrities. Now that they're starting to talk more about it, it's definitely out in the universe a lot more than it used to be. And when me too, uh, when that came out, I think that even uplifted it even more so that it's not so taboo. Like it still is, it's still a behind the closed door thing, but I, I believe that we're starting to, take the steps to talk about it more and more. And like, it can happen to anybody. You know, you said you are successful in the public eye and people wouldn't believe that this would happen, that this could happen to you, but they don't realize that it starts off emotionally or emotional and psychological, probably before it ever gets to physical. And so you are ingrained day in and day out. And they don't realize that that is that's the cycle, you know, that's where the cycle starts. 
And so when we finally realize that that's what we're in, it's hard. It's hard to get out. It's hard to break that, especially when children are involved. So um, I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm happy that more people are speaking out about it because that's the only way we're going to educate people and get the word out there so that people will start understanding that it's just not easy as, well, why didn't you just leave? You know, and we can talk about that question on a whole nother subject, but um, let's talk about um, you wrote in your book about your children. So would you share why you stayed and why you left for your children as you referenced that in your chapter? So let's just touch a little bit about that. Yes, it's very similar to what you just mentioned. Why doesn't she just leave? This idea that women, and we're talking predominantly about women. I know there is violence against men too, and especially in same-sex relationships, but it is predominantly to a very, very high percentage still happening from men towards women. So I'm going to specifically speak about that in that context. Um, This idea that uh, as a mother, you stay for the children and you put up, with call it unkind behavior because I actually think we need a kindness revolution because he thought oh really was it really that bad I miss my children so much maybe if I'd have just put up with it it would you know I would still see them every day I'd be able to kiss them good night every night but that's exactly the same as when you're silent it perpetuates and this is what women have been doing for centuries and this you know being victims and not owning their voices not standing in in the what's the, what should i call it the the absolute birthright to be treated with kindness you know we all should be treating each other with kindness So when that behavior was continuously modeled in front of the children, I, you know, I got to a point where I was just really miserable. Now I probably wouldn't have taken that first step. And you know, the, you've mentioned before as well on this podcast that it takes about seven, seven times for a woman to leave. I think that's the average, isn't it? Yes. And in my case, it more or less happened the first time, not because I, I mean, in my life, it's often been like this, that I was pushed out of a situation where I had no choice. So he actually took the first move in uh, for divorce because he was afraid that I would and that if I'd have done that, uh, it would have gone more in my favor or he was just afraid I was going to, because I'm a foreigner in, in, in this country, in Spain that if I, that I would escape abroad or something, this was a a paranoia more than anything else. So because of that, I was more or less presented with a, an, it was more than an ultimatum. It was, it was sign this piece of paper that gives me the custody rights and you can stay living in the house and everything will be as it's been and we won't go to court. If you don't sign the paper, we will go to court. So I was given a, I, I wasn't really given a choice. And once I'd gone through that door, I couldn't go back in. I mean, I just couldn't. And even though there were many attempts at, at saying, oh, you know, let's just forget the whole thing. And and even breaking down in court, um, saying I don't really want to get divorced. Um, even all these really strange mental games for me, it was 
it was so clear that there was something very broken here. Um, and Lundy uh, Bancroft, you probably know him. He's a, he's a very, um, I've actually got his book, Why Does He Do That, right in front of me here. No, people can't see this on the podcast. But he talks about um, the angry, controlling man. And when you're dealing with someone like that, there is a lot of darkness. There's also this idea of the dark triad, uh, which is, you know, the psychopath, the sociopath, the narcissist. Someone like that needs deep healing. Now, when they are not willing to take any steps to, to healing or to therapy, then you as a partner, no matter how virtuous you are, no matter how much you love them, you are never going to be able to change anything because we all know you can only change yourself. So part of me stepping away was changing something in myself. I couldn't save him. I couldn't, I couldn't, I tried, I tried, you know, suggested therapy. We got to the point where the therapist told me, get yourself a good lawyer. I mean, when a therapist tells you that, you know that, you know, it's not your dreams and illusions of that this man is going to be somebody who is going to be loving and kind towards you. It's just not going to happen. And you right. just have to wake up and smell the coffee. Yeah. So in a way I was, I was pushed out and it, you could say that was my lucky exit. I was shown the door and I went through that door and didn't go back. Yeah. It's under, you know, you brought up that, the we can't change people. I, and I think a lot of us that stay in the relationship, we definitely think if we just do this, if we just, you know, clean the house better or, you know, cook better, or we dress differently, or, you know, maybe if we put this or that, or we lose weight, we, we, it, we all, we take it upon ourselves to think if we just do this, they, they will change. Um, and they never do. I haven't met one person that has, I know there's statistics out there that some people do, but I truly believe it's those people, those men, um, they change because they want to, they realize what they have done. It's not about power and control for them. They, they definitely like they have their own childhood issues and things that they have to address and they want to work on those things. But for a majority uh, of those people will never change. They don't want to change because they don't believe that they're doing anything wrong. Um, it's, it's about, it's their personality. They have to have that power. They have to have that control and they never will. It doesn't matter what we do. Um, and I've said it, I've said it so many times, unfortunately, but I've also had to come to realize in my own my own history with domestic abuse, no matter how much I tried, they were never going to do it. There wasn't anything that I could have done, said, changed other than to change myself and change the circumstances and the situation that I was in and heal myself. That was the only thing that was going to happen that was going to change in my environment. So tell us a little bit about the stalking and the emotional and physical uh, toll that it took on you. So, uh, well, how do, how do I um, put this into the present moment? Um, you know, I think as, let me, let me maybe approach this question a different way. I think a lot of women who end up with this um, personality type of man are naturally 
empaths and we have issues with boundaries let's call them Mm -hmm. issues or we are very giving and sometimes we don't know when to say no yes so this for me has been a really big uh, lesson in in i mean it's been the biggest you could say he's been my biggest teacher in how do i be clearer with my boundaries take this morning um i was being bombarded with text messages and i engaged because you know it's it's this i engaged because it was about uh, it's usually it's to do with the children that's the thing and sometimes it's you know i can't really understand why someone can do these things out of spite when if a sane person would know this is actually harming the children to deprive them of time with their mother it's just not you know it's like there's there's so much woundedness there and unless we we were saying before uh, you know you can only heal yourself so in my journey i've had to be really clear with my boundaries i think emotionally there is still some entwinement because of the children and that's probably not going to until they're bigger and and you know they need them to be strong and i need them to be educated about this but how can i do that as their mother apart from living the example of how you know i can't tell them how to do it i can only show them how to do it Mm -hmm. and that and that you know is if that answers your question in terms of you know i try what i've tried to do is stay in my lane and do just not be too distracted because this is the thing especially at the beginning when there's all this post-separation abuse it's very easy to talk about what they did and if you look at actually the the, you know the perpetrator or the the the, this um personality type of man they their narrative is that they are the victim and you left them and you're the bad mother and obviously you know my children have been brainwashed with this too and it's heartbreaking and it's a very complex psychological manipulation that unless you've been in this you 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 know you 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 wouldn't necessarily see through it because these men are often very charismatic and i know you know people who know um the you know him for example my ex they they wouldn't guess that he could be like this and this is the problem also often in court that yes this is what actually really repulses me about the court system that it's the same pattern over and over again why are the lawyers and the judges not not perceiving it and i think it's partly laziness on their behalf i think it's also because it's been so such a taboo and women haven't spoken up or even the education hasn't been there it's only quite recent so i think our book is is important because it is part of that education and part of that discussion and you know i'm hoping that 10 years you know live in the vision (laughs) that 10 years from now or even five years from now that when when um women go to court over these issues that they are actually understood and that there that that there are i mean it's a very difficult one to know what is the best to do 
when you have two parents squabbling over children, who do you believe? And, and you know, this is this is where I think the courts fail a lot of women who are who are just doing their utmost to protect their children. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, spent years and years in court, same thing. Um, you know, use the word brainwashed and I'll quote that in brainwash. And, and it does feel like that. It does feel when you have, um, the situation that you and I have both been in or, or currently in, um, you know, it's, it's a, he said, she said, you go to the courts and it's really the only, the attorneys are the ones that make out in this, you know, where you're paying thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for an attorney that may or may not even believe what you're telling them, but they're just, they're doing their job, you know, and hopefully you, if you don't like the attorney you have, you, you find another one, you find an advocate. Um, I know here in the U S you know, there definitely are, are a lot of different avenues, um, uh, available for women to reach out. We have, you know, 24 hour hotlines, there's, uh, advocacy programs. I'm, I'm certified as an advocate, so I can help walk people through what they should be doing even before they get to court. Um, you know, when you've got the text messages and the emails and all that kind of drama going on, it's like, unfortunately you do, you have to record everything. You have to write everything down. You have to save your text messages, your emails, the conversations, um, you know, calendar, the pickups and the drop-off, you know, if they didn't show up or did show up because there's so many lies that are told about you outside of the courtroom, but even more sort of more inside the courtroom when the narcissistic personality is losing that control, you know, they start seeing that, Oh, if I say this about her, the judge might believe me. And so that's going to affect her. Um, and so it is, it's, it, it affects everybody. You know, there's no person that the children, um, you know, both parties involved, everybody's going to be touched by it and hurt by it. And I don't have the answer of how that doesn't happen, um, you know, other than the education, but again, you can't change someone else's personality. So all you can, like you said, stay in your own lane. And so not getting, having those boundaries, not getting drawn into the text messages and you have to respond or the emails and you have to respond, you know, it's, it's just, if it's about the kids, you keep it about the kids and not go on the other tangents that they try to hook you into and get you to start a conversation. And then you just, it just kind of snowballs from there. It happens all the time. I see it every day with clients that I work with. So it is a really long process, but everyone, um, hopefully everyone will get through it and start their, their own healing journey. You know, the kids have to start their journey when they're old enough to really understand what has taken place and you're going to be the best example for them you know, we're not going to do it right. We're going to, we're going to mess up. We're going to, we're going to screw up. We're going to forget to keep our boundaries. We're going to just get so overwhelmed at times, but it's really, they're watching you as well, as much as they're watching um, the other side. So it, it is just kind of a perpetual circle that you have to just keep working on day in and day out. Um, so let's talk about a little bit. Um, I know you touched on some things and, um, 
So you talked about your, uh, would you talk about your post-separation abuses? I think the, the vast majority of people think that once we leave the relationship, that the abuse stops, they don't understand that this is actually one of the most dangerous times for us is right after we leave. Um, but also the abuse doesn't stop until the power and control is taken away from the abuser. And we touched just a little bit about that in our, uh, the last, uh, question I asked you, but, I think that's really important for people to understand. You said uh, average, I talked about it, you did too, that it's it takes an average of seven times for women to leave. Um, and in my story, I did leave and went back. Um, and so it took a several it took several times for me to leave as well. Do you want to just touch a little bit about that in your story? Yes. I think for a couple of years, I was really very unhappy and I and I was so afraid of leaving because I anticipated how hard it would be but I don't think I could have possibly imagined Mm -hmm. how hard it actually then was the reality of of that uh, of that post-separation period and I think what made it so much worse was because of the legal implications because we had you know, as I mentioned earlier, we we'd we'd gone to court. Um, I was forced to go to court, and uh, we try. Uh, you know, we tried mediate. Well, I wanted to do mediation, but that uh, didn't work. And then, because we had this sentence, which he kept breaking, the police, the you know, the police got it. Actually, the police got involved very soon, and it just became like something out of a movie. And I do, and I, I write, I mentioned this in the chapter, there was this one moment when the police showed up at the house because the neighbors had called the police. Of course, I wouldn't have called the police. You know, this is the kind of, of probably very typical that the, 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 in this situation that the woman wouldn't call the police because she doesn't want to create a drama mm-hmm. or she's afraid of the implications it could have or you know all sorts of reasons where we don't call the police right. so the neighbors called the police they show up and i had i had been um pushed to the ground so hard that i had bruises all up my legs and it was because i was trying to get my phone back that he'd stolen convinced that it contained evidence that could be used to, I mean, just, you know, usual. And, th- and this is the thing, when the legal system gets involved, people get even more into fear and it becomes a battle. And as you mentioned before, lawyers get involved, thousands of, of dollars of, of, of litigation costs over the, I mean, it just spirals out of control. But anyway, going back to the story, the, the police uh, showed up at the house. I wasn't going to report the injury and the policeman looked at me and he said, you know what? Women like you are on the news all the time. Mm. Wow. Femicide rates are very high in this country. And actually, finally, now they're talking about it. So there is a public discussion. There's a big movement, grassroots movement by women um, uh, against domestic abuse. And this whole femicide um Femicide figures were, I know many countries that still, like Turkey is crazy and many countries around the world, this is big, a big taboo. So I think, you know, as Western women or as women in countries where we can speak publicly about this without being 
you know, having, yes, we're all afraid what consequences it could have for us personally and, and all that. And you never quite know when you're dealing with this kind of personality. But I think this is exactly this fear is what will keep things the way they are. So being able to to speak up about this does create change. So like, like I just mentioned, the police, you know, not all police are equal. I also had a police uh, officer who was, um, talk about stalking, harassing me mm-hmm. by telephone and never said his name. He called me four times. And I know that there was some link to the lawyer of my ex. There was something really dodgy going on there. There's nothing I can do about it. Right. He stopped calling me now because the lawyer said, look, we're going to press charges and nobody ever did. But, you know, so there are but there are police officers. And this was a younger police officer who who advised me to get to report it and go to the medical center so I could get the photographs. They have been a lot of them now are getting education in domestic yes. violence in many countries. And I think, you know, this is part of that change. So, say, you know, being very clear that it is not okay to push a woman to the ground. It's not okay to kick a dog. You know, in this country, animals and I once met a German woman who said animals and women are treated like, you know, they're treated really badly. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to swear here. I'm really swore. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's this thing of boundaries again, being able to say this is not okay. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And it, go, it goes back to having to record everything. You know, if you hadn't uh, recorded that with the police officer and it happened again, they don't have anything to follow back on. Like here in the U S you know, there, if uh, in my situation, that's the, in my first marriage, same thing, the neighbors called on us. And back then, which was in the early eighties, they didn't have to take somebody away. Now, when you call in a domestic violence situation, now is my understanding is that someone should leave. And um, all they did was just like, Hey, you, you know, said to my ex, you need to leave because he had broken his hand or they thought he had broken his hand from hitting uh, me in the wall among other things. And so, you know, it has come a long way since then. And there is a lot of education um, conversation I had with one of the other authors yesterday, we talked about, uh, definitely education. It's key. It's key to changing anything, but it's definitely going to be key in changing this. The more that the police are um, learning about it as they're going through training, the doctors, you know, advocates, um, coaches, uh, psychologists, anybody that has any uh, uh, work around domestic violence, domestic abuse, definitely education is going to be key. So um, I, I just think that yeah, the more we talk about it, the more that there's books written about it, more podcasts, more articles, TV, even more TV shows are coming out. Um, the Maid has, mm. yeah, last year was just explosive. I don't think there's been a show that has portrayed domestic violence in such a way that it was, it's going, it's been life changing and world changing for so many people. And if we can just, continue that conversation and continue the education, then we're at least going to move the needle a little bit forward instead of moving back. Um, so I hope that, uh, it just, I hope someone else comes out with another great show that shows that it's not just about physical. It's all, it's about the emotional and the power and control. Okay. I'm going to take a, another deep breath. Cause we've gotten into some really deep things. Um, 
but let's let's talk about this. Um, so for the, the past 15 years, you have been successful in retreat and in the wellness world, creating curating transformational spaces for healing. I really want to um, hear all about this. So can you tell us about what you've what this amazing um, life you have created for yourself um, as you're going through this and how you are helping so many other women and children, as you said earlier? Yes. Um, so I used to be a journalist, as you mentioned in the intro. And then when I had a, I had a big life change sort of in my mid thirties and I took a sabbatical, went out to Asia, got really into yoga and, and just, it was like, it found me. I didn't, I didn't, um, it, it just one thing led to the other. And, um, I started off actually when my oldest son was born, he's now 13, and set up a beach resort in Goa in India. That was actually with his father. His father at the time was on the yoga path and has since strayed, which is quite unusual. Usual people, when they find Eastern philosophies or yoga, they 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 become more open. But anyway, that's, another, that's part of the other story. And then when we moved back to Europe, I had my second child. And then when I was pregnant with my daughter, I always feel that my daughter is the mascot of Holy Mama because she's also the girl. And she represents this very, um, let's call it divine feminine energy. She's such a heart opener. My daughter, I mean, that's a whole other uh, book that I, I want to write just specifically about her and her her special messages she's also um she's a child with special needs so she she has so much joy and wisdom that she brings with her so anyway with the birth of of uh, with the her pregnancy i just realized there were no retreats for mothers and all these women go on these amazing retreats all over the world and then they get, have a baby and it's like doors are shut because retreat yoga meditation relaxation and crying babies or just noisy children they don't go together it's a bit of an oxymoron so because i think that and her energy was so strong in me and this need was so great to, uh, because i was very i felt very isolated living far away from family and friends in the south of spain i i just it just was an idea that i had i told my sister and within the week, five of her friends had booked to come on the first ever retreat. So it just started very small and it grew year by year. And, you know, the retreats grew from five to eight to 13. And we were the biggest retreats I've been running um, have been like 16, 20 mothers plus children. So a big, you know, big community in spread out out of over two massive properties uh, doing yoga and and then in the mornings the children have childcare, lots of activities, fun things. You're very age uh, re related, so what the babies are mainly held, and then the toddlers do fun things. There's a play kitchen, a trampoline, and the older kids do more crafts. I mean, it's it's just a wonderful experience for everyone, and I've been doing that now since 2013, and also started training retreat facilitators since 2018 um, to do to specifically facilitate retreats but also 
those who want to do retreats with kids um, how to do that because it is you know it, it's a, it adds a whole other layer to it when you bring children in a lot of joy but also a lot of logistical uh, challenges uh, and I think when women become mothers there's a massive it's probably the big in a woman's life I mean they, a lot of women who come to me had corporate careers become mothers and they realize that they need a career change they can't go back to working so you know it's it's deep trans work on all levels and I love it I I really love the the joy it brings I love the environment we create the sense of community collaboration it just feels very outside of this uh, competitive paradigm that most of us have grown up in and that still we still see playing out it's very much uh, it's very it's a very feminine environment and i i do believe that women uh, need to be and i'm very passionate about leadership and more women need to be in leadership roles embodying these qualities of cooperation and community um i know men can do it too but i do believe that if we're going to be dualistic about it it is it is more of a feminine quality and it's more right-brained it's more holistic the right brain sees the bigger picture it sees how everything is interconnected and it it is something that women we just we we do that we're born that way mm-hmm that sounds amazing um, that, yeah, that you, that you've started that and that it's grown so organically as it has. And it just shows that women are looking for a place, a safe place, a place where they can decompress um, and still be able to, to bring their children because it is harder to leave our, our children uh, as mothers, I believe, and that we, we need that, we need that space. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I I've never heard of anything like that over here in the U S there might be, but I just, I've been out, I've been away from little kids for a long time since my kids are grown, but, um, I wish we would have that. I like my biggest getaway was, you know, a day at the spa and getting the massage, but having all that other, um, transformation going on and yoga. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of spiritual that goes through that. You, I'm, do you find yourself like, I can imagine, I know when I, when I get into a spiritual state of being, like a lot of emotion comes up, a lot of tears and crying comes out because you're really just peeling back the layers. Um, and so I, I, I can imagine there's just a, a whole circle of emotions that come out during your retreats. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, um, that, that I think this, uh, Part of the process is, can be a breaking down and then there's a breakthrough. And for some tears are just emotion, happiness. And yes. for some, you know, they mean different things at different times of, to, to different individuals. Um, what, what I teach and what I really aim to do on the retreats is this facilitation, it requires a, a calm presence that is, and I'm sure you know this from your work as well. It's very, it's completely non-judgmental, mm-hmm. but it, there's a certain neutrality to it. So you can be empathetic to um, what someone's going through, 
But at the same time, you don't get emotionally involved. Uh, I mean, you know, attached or try and help or fix or say something that's going to make them feel better because that's actually taking their power away. Because when someone's going through a process, they need to be in the process and release everything that needs to be released so that they can come out the other side. And anything we try and do some, you know, as, and this is another thing of, of wanting, you know, we're, we're therapists, healers wanting to help. Sometimes you can help more by just simply being present. It's a bit like the midwife who doesn't interfere in the birthing process. You know, there, I think there's a famous uh, knitting midwife image that Michelle Oden has. That she, the best mi midwife is there if she needs to intervene. But most of the time, her presence is enough. Her safety, the safety she provides. So it is about, this is why we talk about holding space. It really is like holding that safe space so that others can go through their process. And it's actually, yeah, it's it's lots of things need to be aligned for it to happen. Right. Yeah. So the biggest job you have as the facilitator is putting out the fires and making sure that the the um there's a harmony and uh, the right energy and you know the food's good the, the the everything is just right so that nobody has nobody wants to complain about anything every people can just go ah they can exhale feel yes. safe and then the stuff starts to come up i mean some they just like oh i'm having an amazing time this is great this is relaxing i feel inspired and for some, it's like, oh, I can finally let go of all this stuff I've been carrying because I finally feel safe to do that. Yeah. And that's yes. amazing work. Yes. And, that, and that's it what is. retreat, that's, that is why I believe retreats are our future as we move through this planetary healing health crisis on all levels, not just pandemic, but I mean, look at the environment. We've got so much that needs to be, healed and changed and and i think mental health and wellness are the new currency now they really are this they're the number one priority without that we don't have the stock market we don't have you forget you know increase of the of the of uh, um, all these things that that people think are important that is not if you don't have your health and your and your and your mental mental well-being absolutely i i completely agree with that so you guys, you can find more information about Claudia's books, retreats, her online programs, and her leadership training at holymama.info. If you would like to invite her to speak, you can reach her at Claudia at holymama.info. And her social media, if you'd like to follow her on Instagram, is underscore holymama underscore. Um, so Claudia, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today and using your voice to discuss domestic violence. I really appreciate you taking the time and it has been an amazing journey writing this book with you and even learning more about you today, um, on this podcast. And I just feel very honored, um, that you shared as much as you did. I know, um, how challenging and how hard it can be. And I just, I just, I'm just very grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me and thanks for the work you do. And um, yeah, um, let's continue on this path. Absolutely. I'm seeing a, a Holy Mama uh, retreat in the US <laughs> as our next Live in the Visions. <laughs> mm -hmm.
Thank you so much for tuning in to Live in the Visions. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and leave a review to help me educate, empower, and help women envision a life without abuse. Education is key to breaking the cycle. If you or anyone you know is being abused, please reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline for support at 1-800-799-7233.